Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about Parkinson's disease. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, as always, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash Parkinson's or in the neurology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Parkinson's disease is a condition where there's a progressive reduction of dopamine in the basal ganglia of the brain. And this leads to disorders of movement. The symptoms are characteristically asymmetrical. So one side of the body is affected more than the other. And there's a classic triad of features in Parkinson's disease. And it's worth remembering these three key features. And they are resting tremor, rigidity, and bradykinesia. And we'll talk about these in more detail. So first, let's talk about the pathophysiology. The basal ganglia are a group of structures that are situated in the middle of the brain. And they're responsible for coordinating habitual movements like walking or looking around controlling voluntary movements, and also learning specific movement patterns. Part of the basal ganglia, called the substantia nigra, produces a neurotransmitter called dopamine. And dopamine is essential for the correct functioning of the basal ganglia. And in Parkinson's disease, there's a gradual reduction and a progressive fall in the production of dopamine, which means that the basal ganglia don't function as well as they were. So how does it present? Well, the typical patient is an older aged man around the age of 70, but it can affect both sexes and younger patients as well. Firstly, a unilateral tremor is a key feature, and the tremor in Parkinson's disease has a frequency of 4 to 6 hertz, meaning that it occurs 4 to 6 times in a second. This is described as a pill-rolling tremor because it looks like they're rolling a pill between their fingertips and their thumb. It's more pronounced when resting, and it improves when they have voluntary movement. So if you distract them and they're not thinking about their arm, they'll have more of a tremor than if they're trying to actually move their arm and do something. Asking the patient to do a task with the other hand, such as miming the motion of painting a fence, can make the tremor more exaggerated, and this is a useful tool that you can use when you're examining someone who you suspect may have Parkinson's. The next feature is cogwheel rigidity. And rigidity is a resistance to passive movement of the joints. So if you take the patient by their hand and you passively flex and extend their arm at the elbow, you'll feel a tension in the arm that gives way to movement in small increments, like little jerks. And this is what leads to the cogwheel description. So you're trying to move the joint And there's tension in the joint, but that tension gives way in small jerky movements. The next feature is bradykinesia. And bradykinesia basically means small movements. And it describes how the movements of patients with Parkinson's disease get slower and smaller. And this presents in a number of ways. Their handwriting gets smaller and smaller. And this is a classic presenting complaint in exams. The technical term for this is micrographia, so small handwriting. The patients can only take small steps when they're walking, and this leads to the classic description of a shuffling gait. Patients have difficulty in initiating movements, so, for example, initiating walking from a standing position. Patients have difficulty in turning around whilst they're standing, having to take lots of little steps in order to turn around rather than being able to simply spin around. 
and patients have reduced facial movements and facial expressions, which is called hypomimia. There's a few other features to be aware of that can often affect patients with Parkinson's disease. Depression is very common. It can also dramatically affect sleep and cause insomnia. Patients with Parkinson's often lose the sense of smell, which is called anosmia. They have postural instability or difficulty in trying to stay standing in one place. And they can also have cognitive impairment and memory problems. So a quick Tom tip at this point, a common exam challenge is to distinguish between the tremor of Parkinson's disease and the tremor of benign essential tremor. And there's some key features that can help you to distinguish between the two. Parkinson's tremor is typically asymmetrical, whereas in benign essential tremor, there's typically a symmetrical tremor. The tremor in Parkinson's is 4 to 6 hertz, whereas it's 5 to 8 hertz in benign essential tremor, so slightly faster tremor in benign essential tremor. Parkinson's is worse at rest, whereas benign essential tremor improves at rest. Parkinson's improves with intentional movement, whereas benign essential tremor is worse with intentional movement. Parkinson's comes with all the other Parkinson's features, whereas you won't find those other features with benign essential tremor. And finally, Parkinson's doesn't change with alcohol, whereas benign essential tremor improves with alcohol. At this point, let's talk about Parkinson plus syndromes. And these are where you have Parkinson's disease with extra features. The first Parkinson's plus syndrome is called multi-system atrophy. And this is a rare condition where the neurons in multiple systems in the brain degenerate. It affects the basal ganglia as well as multiple other areas. Degeneration of neurons in the basal ganglia leads to the Parkinson's presentation. And degeneration in other areas leads to autonomic dysfunction, which causes postural hypertension, constipation, abnormal sweating and sexual dysfunction. And degeneration in the cerebellar system leads to cerebellar dysfunction, which causes ataxia. Next is Parkinson's with Lewy bodies. And this is sometimes referred to as Lewy body dementia. And this is a type of dementia associated with features of Parkinson's. It causes a progressive cognitive decline. So you get the dementia. And there's also other associated features, such as visual hallucinations, which are a key feature, delusions, disorders of REM sleep, and also fluctuating consciousness. There's two other Parkinson's plus syndromes that exist that involve a number of complex progressive neurological features. And it's worth just being aware that they exist. And they are progressive supranuclear palsy, and corticobasal degeneration. So now let's talk about how we come to a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is diagnosed clinically based on symptoms and examination. A diagnosis should be made by a specialist with experience in diagnosing Parkinson's disease. A nice recommend using the UK Parkinson's Disease Society Brain Bank Clinical Diagnostic Criteria for diagnosis. So how do we manage Parkinson's disease? Well, treatment is initiated and guided by a specialist and is tailored to each individual patient and their response to different medications. There's no cure for the condition, so treatment focuses on controlling the symptoms and minimising side effects. Patients describe themselves as being on when their medications are acting and they feel they're moving freely and the symptoms are well controlled and describe themselves as off 
when the medications start to wear out and they have significant symptoms and their next dose is due. The first treatment to talk about is levodopa and this is a synthetic dopamine that's given orally to try and boost those dopamine levels in the brain. It's usually combined with a drug that stops the levodopa from being broken down in the body before it gets a chance to enter the brain. And these medications are called peripheral decarboxylase inhibitors, for example, carbidopa and benserazide. So the combination drugs are cobenaldopa, which is levodopa and benserazide, and cocaraldopa, which is levodopa and carbidopa. Levodopa is the most effective treatment for symptoms, but it becomes less effective over time. So it's often reserved for when other treatments are not managing to control the symptoms. The main side effect of dopamine is that when the dose is too high, the patients can experience dyskinesias. And these are abnormal movements that are associated with excessive motor activity. So for example, it might be dystonia, which is where there's excessive muscle contraction that leads to abnormal postures and exaggerated movements. Chorea, which are abnormal involuntary movements that can cause jerking and random movements. And athetosis, which are involuntary twisting or writhing movements, usually in the fingers, hands or the feet. The dopamine is not the only medication that can be used to treat Parkinson's disease. So we need to talk about the other medications that are used to control symptoms. And there's three main categories, COMT inhibitors, dopamine agonists and monoamine oxidase B inhibitors. So to start with COMT inhibitors or COMT inhibitors, the main example of this is entercapone. And these are inhibitors of catechol-O-methyltransferase or COMT. And the COMT enzyme metabolizes levodopa in the body and the brain. So they work by inhibiting the enzyme that breaks down levodopa. And by doing that, they increase the amount of dopamine that builds up in the brain. Entercapone is taken with levodopa and with a decarboxylase inhibitor to slow the breakdown of levodopa in the brain and it extends the effective duration of the levodopa. The next are dopamine agonists and these mimic dopamine in the basal ganglia and stimulate the dopamine receptors. They're less effective than levodopa in reducing the symptoms and they're usually used to delay the use of levodopa and are then used in combination with levodopa to reduce the dose of the levodopa that's required to control the symptoms. One notable side effect that you should remember for your exams with prolonged use of dopamine agonists is pulmonary fibrosis. The three examples to remember are bromocryptine, pergolide, and carbergoline. Finally, there's monoamine oxidase B inhibitors. Monoamine oxidase enzymes break down neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. And the monoamine oxidase B enzyme is more specific to dopamine and doesn't act on serotonin or adrenaline. So these medications block this enzyme and therefore help increase the circulating dopamine in the brain. Similarly to dopamine agonists, they're usually used to delay the use of levodopa and then in combination with levodopa to reduce the required dose. And examples of monoamine oxidase B inhibitors are selegiline, and resagaline. So thanks for listening to this episode on Parkinson's disease. 
A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain it without his hard work and reliability. If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zeroed Finals Medicine book. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com and I hope you tune in for the next episode which will be all about benign essential tremor.